Welcome to Riveting Broads, a platform for women to riff on what matters most. We're your hosts, Molly Merluzzi and Jackie Richard. And we found that conversations in media and politics are too often about women instead of with them. And we plan to change that. From thoughts on vulnerability, identity, privilege, culture, gender, sexuality, and everything in between, we talk about it all. Join us. On today's episode, we're featuring Senator Joan Lovely, an assistant majority leader in our Massachusetts State Senate, but that's not all she does. She is the Senate Chair of the Rules Committee. She's also the Vice Chair of the Education Committee and just an overall very awesome local elected official. Thank, Thank you, you for being here. Oh, I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you. I'm a mom to three great adult children. The oldest just got married, so we're very excited. Married the boy next door. Aww. I'm also a mom to three Labrador Retrievers and six call ducks and one cat. I'm sorry, call Call ducks, yes. So a a call duck (laughs) is the bantam of the duck world. They're like little ducks. And the reason why they're called call ducks is back in the early 1800s, the hunters, mostly in England, would put the female ducks into uh, the lakes and ponds because they have a really loud quack, and they would call the wild ducks down. And then the hunters would shoot the wild ducks. They don't do that anymore, thankfully. Well, because you have a reservation at right. your house. I do. <laughs> so, so you rescue it's a small them. farm. That's not well, literally. We learned you have a background in agriculture, so I this do. makes a lot of sense. I do. That's the farmer in me, and my husband puts up with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Not that t- that's today's topic at all, but how does one get call ducks? Or you don't know. No, you don't know how to get no. call ducks. No, can you please inform our listeners? <laughs> do you know you can order baby ducklings Stop. or chickens? Yeah, on the web. Ever. Exactly. They arrive in a little box at the post office, and you're called to come down and get them, and you have this little box that you pick up, a little chirp, chirp, chirp in the box, and that's how I started in this, yeah. I mean, I had ducks as a child, but as an adult, this is how I started. And I show them at the Topsfield Fair for the ducks who are going to the fair next Friday. Oh, Oh. my goodness. Yeah, it's fine. I'm going to bring Lou, and we're going to see your call ducks. Good. So multifaceted. (laughs) fun if you had asked me if this was the direction we would have gone down uh, no I really love that so like Jackie said there's a lot of topics that we wanted to cover today frankly we feel uh fortunate to have as much time with you as as we do and that's sort of part of the theme which is uh to talk about the accessibility of local government um and the general perception that Politics in nature is something that either is slow moving or hard to penetrate. And um, just in our short conversation with the senator, Jackie and I were pretty impressed that she has, um, you know, a Twitter account where she uses direct messages to constituents, um, you know, texts regarding uh, a lot of issues. But largely, we were talking about um, the opioid epidemic in Massachusetts and how. Um, in order to enact change, you have to start from from th- the grassroots level and engage with the people that are most affected, which are the extended family members. And it sounds like that's been a large part of your, your role. So it has. And I will tell you, uh, the first session that I got elected, so back in when I took office in 2013, um, the opioid issue was, it was big. It's still, it's critical. And uh, I was put as chair of the Committee on Mental Health and Substance Abuse. Now, that's a 
two areas that I didn't have any professional background, no educational background in, some personal background with different family members. So I was a little caught when, oh my gosh, I I don't know enough to be the chair of this committee. Well, I learned a lot. um, And I was on that committee for four years, chaired for the first, um, first two years. And now it's an absolute priority of my policy in my office and how we try to help people. And I will tell you, when I was chair, and ever since then, I actually got a call today about a young man that we're, we're helping to get into treatment. And um, he doesn't have the right type of insurance, um, but we were able to get him a scholarship to get into treatment um, for his alcohol addiction. Um, I helped a young woman get into treatment about five years ago. Uh, not a constituent, again, someone who just was living on the streets, heroin addict, and we were able to get her into um, short-term treatment for detox for 30 days and then into a long-term treatment for six months in, in inpatient, locked treatment, where she was able to then go back into the community and work with um, getting her education in place, getting her, her, you know, just getting her feet under her again. She had failed out of treatment seven other times. Uh, Today, she's married to a man who she met in treatment. Um, They have two beautiful little boys, and they have custody of his two children from a prior relationship. Again, um, an addiction issue, and, um, and they're doing really well. And so that's what government's supposed to do. We're here to help people. You wouldn't think to call your state senator to get, you know, for, to, to get some, you know, put those um, kind of tools together for, for instance, for treatment. But we have access. We, as government, the government is accessible to everyone. And we want, I want to make sure that your, your listeners know that, that you don't have to call your state senator or your state rep. But if you're hitting the wall, please give us a call. Call us and we can help kind of pin all that together. Right. And I think that's how this conversation came about was hearing that story and realizing, wow, you do so much more than work with your um, colleagues at the state house. It's literally you're, you're fielding calls, texts, messages on social media at all times. And I think it's a brilliant way to lead by example as an elected official because conventionally, we think of a politician as someone who is no no offense to any politicians out there, but self-interested. You know, they're worried about their numbers, they're worried about their status, their image, fundraising, all that stuff. But I think you put a new spin on how to generate a lot of community support by being part of that community and listening to it. Like for example, years ago, I remember there was a um, bill going through the house for an insurance related matter. And I had just started working for Phil Richard Insurance, and I'm like super into politics, so my dad thought it'd be cool for me to tag along. And um, we went with a rep from the industry, and Senator Lovely, we sat at a table, and she did not do the talking. She listened, she asked questions, she really wanted to get the real information on, is this gonna be good for my constituents? And I thought it was really beautiful how you handled it, and I think that's indicative of, you know, how your administration has sort of composed themselves. And it goes back into the bigger topic that we were going to start with, which is what's influenced that? You know, like how how is being a mother and part of your community shaped your approach? I'm curious. Well, let me just say um, happy 100th birthday to women having the right to vote. 
Um, you know, it's just really terrific. There's lots of um, celebrations over the next year, so I want your listeners to stay tuned to see what see about those. But you think about it, 100 years is not a long time. Uh, and is either. that 100 years from the suffrage movement for white women? And That's then there's right. sort of... Yes. In the, we talk about intersectionality a lot because we're very aware of being... Um, you know, white privileged women in, in some capacity. Um, but that is, I mean, I don't mean to undercut the celebration, yeah. but we force ourselves to acknowledge that because it is so important to, it's just 100 years doesn't seem like a lot of time. And then on top of it, to think, you know, that we come after. Well, you know, and we could, I'll touch quickly on pay, ec- pay equity. Absolutely. You know, we're still, women are still pretty far behind men for the same type of jobs. You know, white women are, you know, 77 cents on the dollar. Women of color are, you know, 60 cents on the dollar. Latina women are 50 odd cents on the dollar for the same job, for the same work. We're still working towards that, and we'll, we'll continue to do that. We've, we've passed bills in the, in the, in the uh, legislature to address that, but it's still it's a culture change and mm. one that we'll still continue to work on. Mm. Um, but let me just tell you kind of how I got started in politics. And there's, and there's 25% of the legislature is women, okay? So we're, we're not even 50-50. Um, in the legislature, and that's that's pretty indicative of a lot of legislatures across the country. Um, the way I got involved was I literally um, helped build a, cl- a playground in my neighborhood. Um, my kids were like two, four, and six, and the neighborhood playground was the same equipment my husband played on as a child, right? So that really hot metal slide and yeah, a that, couple that cool of vintage slide yeah. if you wanted to. Right. The genesis of some of our <laughs> earliest childhood injuries and right. scars. There you yeah. go, exactly. I know you're still burned from the, those couple of rubber swings. That was it. So I went to the city and said, how can we um, build a new playground? And they said, form a, a, a little association. So I went to parents in the neighborhood, and we formed a little neighbor, you know, a parents group. And over the course of a year, we worked with the city. So this is Salem. Um, we worked with the planning department, with the then mayor, with the city councilor. And we designed it. We found the money to pay for it and within the budget. And then over a weekend with 100 volunteers, we built a playground. And that was such a positive experience for me that I went to the mayor and said I'd like to sit on a committee and so he appointed me to the neighborhood advisory improvement committee and that was to look at different neighborhoods you know was a a sidewalk needed to be repaired or you know what what was going on Um, and that again was super positive and then I went to my husband and said I think I want to run for office (laughs) now let me just back up when I met my husband he was a city councilor in Salem, and he was busy with meetings and and a lot of phone calls. And I said, "Oh, how do you do it? You know, why do you do it?" Uh, I wasn't interested in the political side. And so when I went to him, you know, that that many years later, and said, "I think I'd like to run for office," he said, "Don't you remember all the phone calls and all the meetings?" And I said, "You know what? I do, and I really want to do it." And so he helped me get elected. Um, with a small army to uh, the city council, where I was a city councilor for 15 years as I'm selling real estate. I'm a realtor at the time and raising a family. And then, um, and then the Senate seat became available. And people called and encouraged me to run, and I did. Um, and I tell you, I, I will never fill the shoes of the 30-year sitting senator, the majority leader, Fred Berry, who yeah. passed away last summer. Um, he really left a lasting impact and legacy. Um, but I'll tell you, it's, um, 
it's not lost on me that more women don't run. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that, you know, over the years, a lot of my friends have said to me, why do you do it? You, you know, it's, it's a lot of time. It's, you know, you're out at meetings a lot. And, you know, and I said, because it, it matters, because government is here to help. And if you know how to um, use that effectively, then we really do help people. And it's you're like you said at the beginning, it's not about self-serving. It's not about me. Mm -hmm. It's about how do we help people. And so that's probably my, the middle child in me, too, mm. <laughs> a little bit. But, um, but I want to see more women uh, run for office. I think that um, women bring a, you know, a, a different perspective. No disrespect to men. Mm -hmm. I just think that we need more women representation. If we're a little better than 50% of the population, we should be at least 50% of the you know the the elective and the the kind of the political process right and I I appreciate you saying that and with stating the statistic because I think there's a lot of women out there that consider it or maybe have considered it maybe some like myself but shy away from it because of the what feels like the insurmountable amount of pressure that you must feel on a daily basis I think I always wonder how people mitigate that. And it sounds like you do a good job, but like, where, how do you find that boundary for yourself? Where do you draw the line of what you're working on versus, you know, what your peers think versus what your constituents think? I don't know how you I also stomach think that. that question is an important one, but I also think the supplement to that is do men have that same mm -hmm. introspection, right? So, like, you're, I mean, I think it's an important question we have to, I would, I'd love to hear your thoughts on too. But I hear, I can hear us ask you that question. And then if you were a male sitting there, they'd be like, I've never thought about it, you know, because I was never asked. I've thought about it a lot. Sure. Actually. Of course. <laughs> I will tell you um, when I first got into this office, into the Senate, and, you know, I'm on like six or seven different committees. I'm on commissions. Um, I chair the Postpartum Depression Commission on the Senate side. Um, all really fulfilling, great work. Um, let me just add a quick little PS to that. I have a staff who are incredibly supportive, and I, I could not do the work I do without this really amazing staff that supports what we do as as a as a mission. We we are we're the lovely team. <laughs> but uh, but I'll tell you. Um, when I first got into office, and now I'm really getting into the kind of the mode of, of, this, of this position and, and how, what I bring to it, how I want to approach it, which is really heavily constituent-based. Someone's calling us, and they usually it's not to say hello. Sometimes it is. <laughs> but it's usually there's a problem that they, that something really serious, and, that's, and then we, we dive in. But I re I'll never forget this. I have a male colleague who's a dear friend who said to me, um, or just we were talking a bunch of us and he said oh, I just finished this really great book over the weekend and um, and I thought to myself oh my god he has time to read a book <laughs> and then he said and my and his wife is now retired and he said you know and, and my wife made this really great meal and I'm like wow he goes home to a hot cooked meal I don't have that mm -hmm. you know I I'm the cook in the house and I will tell you since I've been in office I don't cook a lot. Right. Um, usually, I'm going from Boston to a meeting in the district, um, and we've, you know, what my husband and I have adjusted to that. Sure. Know, so nobody's complaining or anything. No, no, no. But, um, but you know, I just thought to myself, it's different. I think it's different for men than it is for women, and you know, I will tell you, and I've told, I've said this publicly before, 
I have, you know, women colleagues who have young children, and I don't know how they do it. I really don't. Um, I, you know what? I, that's why I sold real estate, because it was a nights and weekends type of position that I could balance this family life that was that that I really wanted to be able to balance. Um, and I give them a lot of credit. Um, they have to have a lot of help to right. be able to kind of really balance their family work life. Right, and that's a privileged thing too. It's like as I think yeah, about that because I'm the, we talked on a number of episodes about dynamics as being a self-employed person or being the breadwinner and or being ambitious on top of that where you know Jackie and I thrive because we're both like we want to change the world and there's ways to do that and there's so many ways to approach it but at the same time my kid who I adore is at daycare from eight to four only three days a week because that's in our budget and it's an in-home daycare because that's what's affordable and you know I I am beyond grateful for my mother and my husband's mother who's also available but again those are gendered things it's my mother and his mother that are taking care of them not my dad and his dad and that's not a dig at them it's it is kind of a dig at them to be honest it's a dig at their role in a system that really genders caretaking towards the woman and so mind you my child is my husband's very active in my son's life but um and and very supportive of my career and my ambitions but i would say that even even then just the work we have to put into presenting as women not just physically but um you know as a good someone who cooks the meals or someone who etc that seals even archaic to have that conversation today right but it's true and my i joke but my husband is a hundred percent the cook in our life and that's not because he's home more it's because he's a good cook (laughs) and and that's something we talked about but his father was too and that doesn't mean his mom didn't take on other gendered sort of stereotypes but in the limelight of being a politician i would i i do think Jackie's question is really interesting because you you have to answer not only as you and how you achieve your career and whatever political aspirations you have or not, um, but also as a woman in a in a very heavily masculine space, um, and then one who's dealing with all the other sort of pressures we've talked about in previous episodes, which are you know if you talk too much you're you're know you're written off or if you're too loud you're aggressive or if you're you know shrill or whatever horrible adjective people Mm -hmm. right i I hear that still right from from some male colleagues you know oh did you see what she was wearing today what 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 wait a minute we're not talking real we're not talking about that anymore i'll tell you though that um the Senate and House just went through extensive sexual harassment training Great. as a result of something that happened in the Senate two years ago when our president's husband um, sexually harassed some some staffers in the State House, and unfortunately that cost him his position. Um, he's no longer in the Senate. And um, oh, so, I did read about this story, yes. and and this was a, a actually a homosexual couple, correct? Correct. Not that that matters, but an yep. interesting dynamic in terms of gender play. Right. Yeah. Right. So there wasn't any issues in my office, but I didn't have any gay um, staff in my office, apparently. Mm -hmm. It was more with offices that had um, gay staff. Mm -hmm. So anyway, long story short, I chaired the sexual harassment um, review committee. We we had a really really good um, policy in place with training every two years, but we didn't train 
our interns. We have a really robust intern program. Right. Oh, that's you know? interesting. Right. Sometimes so it fun. starts from there, and it's almost ra- more rare to have the senior. Interesting. Exactly. Huh. So we made recommendations, and one of those recommendations was to include interns and to, you know, if staff, you know, th- there can be staff turnover, and to, but so that when a new staffer comes in, they get the training. You don't wait the year and a half maybe until it's offered again. Right. Um, we also did a climate um, work climate survey um, so that we surveyed all of staff. We didn't. We had that. Pr- it was professionally done. <laughs> yeah, but that would be a, a little flawed. It was a guys. recommendation. How are you guys liking working for <laughs> me? It was independent. <laughs> it was, I, and I took the survey as well. Sure. But it was that opportunity to, to allow anonymously for staff to really drill down on how they thought that the state house was, was running and, and did they feel heard and valued and were there, are there any issues? And those, that um, survey is actually being tabulated now. So we're, we're looking forward to getting some results from that. And then, but it really was very staff intensive and included. Wanted to make sure that staff knew that their and, and interns are extremely valued. It's not just about the senator or the representative, you know, because there's that power structure, right? Right, so, and power dynamics are when yeah. it comes to, uh, you know, leveraging sexual harassment. That it's all about power. It's right. all about right. power. So. Exactly. And a huge issue in politics, too. So I think it speaks volumes of the Massachusetts State Senate and their willingness to go there. People took, aren't always willing to go and there. And it took a, a, an incident to, we, we have a great policy in place, but it took a really difficult incident, mm. um, really, really unfortunate, um, you know, especially for these victims, mm. that some who left the employee of the state house, who, who just didn't feel comfortable working there anymore, um, you know, but the, it took it took that for us to go back and reevaluate and say, okay, we need to really determine what our values are and what's mm. important. And and staff is at the tippy top, um, and and interns and people who access the state house. I mean, any given day we could we have hundreds and hundreds. Depends if if we have rallies. There's thousands of people that come to the state house and want people to know that they're they're safe mm. when they walk through those doors. That right. they're safe. That they're safe from sexual harassment. So um, difficult um, time uh, in in the Senate and the House, but but we made that happen, and now we're going forward, eyes fully open, to make sure that everyone's supported. And it's all about access, like we were talking about yeah. at the beginning. Here mm-hmm. is like how do you as our general constituency, so voters in Massachusetts, but also in any state on a national stage, having that healthy relationship with your government so that you do feel heard and empowered, but you also know that, you know, what was the word? You don't, you work with us and for us, not against us and for yourselves, right? And that, I think that's why government has been vilified so much, especially in the polarized you know, nation we're living in, which is, it's been vilified for a long time. But I think that, especially now, it's it's almost become um, a caricature of reality where people are either very distrustful of government and sort of this, this sort of uh, corruption and chaos that, that has been happening. And clearly there's a reason for that. Or they're, you know, of the mind that we can only get it done if we work within the system. But there's all these people in between that are getting affected. And I think you see that in the Democratic Party, where you see, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on a national scale sort of pushing folks that are sort of central 
um, centrists or, or a little bit more on the moderate side of, of liberalism towards the left. I guess this is the left, not the right for those. In the room. <laughs> um, but, you know, that there's also the same thing happening on the right. And the the conversation, I think, around access is one of I know I keep coming back to privilege but you know having having you sitting at our table mm. we are we, we feel privileged and honored to have access to your you know intellectual property and your um your contributions to a conversation that the if we didn't have this platform accessing someone like you is something that the average person would be intimidated by having that happen within the state house um where there's a system of power dynamics where people aren't feeling comfortable it's important to have that sort of reevaluation through it sounds like formal curriculum that actually sends a message that not only do the constituents need to have access to them the folks working within the system need to have access to different levels of power in order to make sure things are going the way they should you know, and I want people to know that we are accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I re- we really try to be very robust on social media so that people do see what we're doing and do weigh in. And, you know, I, I mean, I get uh, Facebook messaging all the time. People, it's a preferred method of people who, sure. you know, they may not want to pick up the phone or shoot me an email. Um, so whatever method, we want people to be able to to contact us on any issue. And I, I really want to stress that when people call my office um, that, um, anything that we know it's very sensitive information um, of, of their personal lives that they're looking for help and we don't share that with anyone um, I just want to make sure people know that they can it's a safe space it yeah. is and it, and it should be and it should be and you talk about kind of the far right and the far left I will tell you I'm a pretty moderate Democrat mm-hmm. so oh I know <laughs> and, you know, and, and you know why? Because we get things done. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter if it, if the idea evolved on the D side or the R side. It's a good idea. Let's work on it together. And I'll tell you, in, um, in Massachusetts, we were such a hev- heavily blue state. And the legislature is more blue than red by far. We have six Republicans in the Senate out of 40 members. But those six Republicans are respected and listened to as equally as the 34 Dems. Um, we don't. We just don't have that same kind Vitriol. of... Yeah, exactly. well, that's level. I, we don't. Right. No, it's an important point. But one thing I want to say, too, about what our local elected officials are doing on the state level, the state sets the stage for the national. And I think there's a lot of um, frustration in our current state of politics because people feel so disconnected they feel like they they have no control over the situation so i know a lot of people are just like i don't vote it doesn't make a difference it doesn't change anything i know which breaks my heart so many people in my life too i can't even believe it it's literally your your voice it's the only but anyway i could go on a rant but i think we all agree when we should vote but you should also be an informed (laughs) voter i will oh yeah throw that in there if you haven't done any research i actually don't think you should vote but Um, That's my personal opinion, but I think it's important to note that our local elected officials make themselves accessible because they are dictating the direction of the country. Each state that adopts new legislation, for example, the Affordable Care Act is taken from the Mitt Romney legislation in Massachusetts, or, you know, you've seen the state of California now say that if you haven't publicly released your tax returns, you can't be on their presidential ballot. So states have the ability to affect the way the national is going and the way to be part of that is to talk to your local elected official 
and they are Great. so much more accessible than we realized and to your point senator lovely you're answering text messages on your way in you know with a man an individual who is dealing with a substance abuse issue i that talk about peeling the layers of the onion back i didn't i didn't realize that i know you as a person because you're a good-hearted person would do that no matter what but frankly even when i think of an elected official i don't think of someone who's dealing with the individuals in that mm-hmm. way so i think if people are feeling powerless and like they have no control it's just because you kind of have to look up and see who's right in front of you right and just reach out i couldn't agree more you know we are accessible uh and you know again we try to do it through social media so people know what we're doing and and try to engage that way it seems that seems to be the the, the most popular maybe acceptable form today and you know so it's it's just it's it's critical and again it comes for me again probably being trained as a city councilor so local that it comes down to constituent services when i was a city councilor it was streets and sidewalks and mm-hmm. was my did, did my street get plowed mm-hmm. today it's I, my my child needs um you know needs opioid treatment or I've, I've got a housing issue which by the way is really the number one issue in massachusetts mm-hmm. right now it's the number one calls i get in my office is housing insecurity and homelessness and it's really really difficult because we're, we're we are you know hundreds of thousands of units behind where we should be to be able to really house people who get educated here and then they leave the state because there's no place to live right you know it's really about our economy right yeah right. and I, I work with Harbor Lake Community Partners shout out to an excellent nonprofit on yes. focused on affordable housing but their biggest issue is, and this is something we talk about, is is messaging around the concept of affordable housing because there's so many layers of of racial and class um, sort of limitations within the understanding of like I don't know if you've seen those not in my backyard sort mm-hmm. of yes in my backyard premises and what that is for our listeners who may or may not be familiar with that is that. Affordable housing is a fundamental right, but the phrase affordable housing has preconceived notions for everyone in associations with, um, you know, yes, you believe everybody should have a home, but not necessarily near your home. And what does that say about privilege and how you rank and hierarchize human value? Um, But I, I, going back to what you were saying around access, and I wanted to talk, I'm curious if you both feel this way. I would say a big, so I I work with a number of, of different, you know, politicians locally and I I would say that the folks I work with are largely pro- not just progressive politically, though that is true, um, progressive technologically. And so you, I would I would argue, and I want to hear you guys if you guys both agree with this, but I would argue you're somewhat the exception to the rule still in in that you have a fluency in social media that some folks that have been in um, your or, or currently in your colleagues um, in the Senate, et cetera aren't necessarily fluent in. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. But on the national scale, you think about, you know, Elizabeth Warren, shout out Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, like they have this incredible um, ability to, whether it's through staff or not, appear like it's them talking to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, as a marketer, um, that goes a, a long way to making me feel like my I can speak to you directly, so my voice matters. Um, I'd be curious. Do you? I just my my opinion, I guess, is that I think there's a long way to go on a state and local level. You know, um, shout out to a local politician, Julie Flowers, who I think does a good job, sort of putting herself out there, open Q and A's on Facebook Lives. You know, she's a local city politician, yeah. and she's like taking that 
seriously enough to not just hope that your friends that you went to high school with will vote for you, right? right. right. And I, I, just a shout out to you and also just a question to you both. Do you think that, that there's a long way to go there? Or do you think people are starting to, to get a sense that social media is good only if you use it well? You know what's interesting, what I've noticed? So I'm more of a Facebook fan, sure. okay? And, but it's an older social media mm-hmm. than like Instagram. You know, so we're really kind of new to Instagram. And actually, I was talking to my staff. I said, we need to get on Instagram because that's where my daughters are. Mm -hmm. You know, so I said, we're not getting our message out to all of our constituents and people who may be interested in what what we're saying or what we're doing. Um, and tweeting, of course, is if you're not tweeting, you don't exist. So especially in politics, yeah, yeah. right now, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. So we, you know, that's how we're trying to to do that. But again, and it's and it's probably age related. I'm I like sitting down with Facebook and you know seeing what my friends are doing, um, whereas my daughters, who are you know 28 and 32, aren't on Facebook at all. Occasionally, yeah. you know, they're right. Instagram. So it all, you know, it all these opportunities to be able to again be accessible and let the let everyone know what what we're doing is there a social and i want to hear jackie's point on this but just mm-hmm. the follow-on supplement question is there so you just said this incredible thing that you recognized there was unfortunately it took a horrific um sexual harassment mm-hmm. challenge to get to that progress get to that sort of overarching um material and training that your colleagues and now the interns have experienced and continue to I would say that there would be merit to having a conversation around social media and training your staff and the greater political, you know, machine to use the tools that they have at their disposal to enact change. I think strategists like myself work with the folks and tell people that, but I'm saying like within the government there, I mean, I remember I worked for, um, uh, you know, a, a representative at the Mass State Senate when I was in college, and shout out Mary Grant. Um, but when I worked there, she had, they had like these little TVs that you're watching what's happening down on the floor. We still and, have and, yes, you still, <laughs> and then you're, you're emailing, and I remember working on legalese documents, which you can't really get rid of those, but um, there was a, and I I'm just always go back to language and how we communicate and position things. But because if the, what you're dealing, what you're working on, what you're in charge of is is of the utmost importance, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I think Jackie actually pivot to Jackie runs an event uh, event an organization called the Next Gen Network, and she her whole premise is about shaking up the way we've always thought about connecting with other businesses. And maybe that's maybe that's a good avenue because the mm-hmm. way you've done that, you could apply that to politics. Well, thank you. I think social media, thank you very much for saying that. I appreciate it's it. True. It's still a goal, but it's working. Um, the approach is working because there's a need for it. And I think that's, I think, similar to politics. If you're listening to what the majority is saying, the majority of the people who you really respect and love and want to support, then it's just natural you're going to be successful in what you're doing. And social media is a great way to engage that crowd. It's also a really scary way to engage that crowd because, you know, everyone and their mother could be an armchair critic if they want and never get out of that armchair and still feel like they have a right to say something. So there's always that that you're up against. But I think to Senator Lovely's point is you have to go where the people are. And I think that's a very progressive mindset to have. Um, because not a lot of people share that. They feel like, well, I'm, I'm the superior in this situation. I have an important message. These people should come to me. But it just shows 
a level of humility on your part where you're like, no, I'm going to go to them because that's where we need to be. And I've taken the same approach as as much as social media stresses me out. It's also building this organization and it's building a movement and having people refer to it as we and us instead of me or Jackie's thing. So I think without social media, there's no way the next gen would be anything right now. And you look at um, politicians like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Or Ayanna Presley. Exactly. Or even Trump. I mean, not that I want to give the guy credit, but he has argued, he has the strongest base, arguably. And that's why he was able to, that's why he's still able to move his messaging, albeit um, toxically, toxically and unfactually, but he's getting millions of people to believe because he can reach them. So it's, you're absolutely right. I mean, it really, it's genius if you think about it. You yeah. know, he's mm-hmm. tweeting. He's an and evil genius. Yeah. Well, and then, and <laughs> Let's then, not give him that much. And then, so he's and a very <laughs> stable genius. That's what he calls himself. Right? That either, but, but you know what? He's used, But every news outlet will pick up these tweets during yeah. the day. And, mm-hmm. and so I don't I don't follow tr- Donald Trump on Twitter. But yeah. I know every tweet that he of tweets. Course. Because it's, I see it on the news. Or right. I read mm-hmm. about it in the newspaper. So... Um, you know, he's he's figured it out how to get his message out um, right. and by people who like me who aren't going to follow his tweets. Right. But, but I see them all. Right. And I, and I hear them all. Well, and back to you at the State House, though, is there a movement to educate and encourage a fluency in, in not just Facebook, Instagram, but the, the mechanism which is marketing and public relations and connecting with the public via this new forum that isn't necessary. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm pro town halls for a reason. And I, it's important to have in-person visibility and exposure to your representatives, but curious. So, so we do have formalized training um, in in the state house uh, for our staff and for us as legislators. But I will tell you um, because we, each represent different districts, and districts are very different from one another. We kind of almost work in silos mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time. So you know, Sounds I make right. yeah. So it's it's although the Senate as a whole, we have a Facebook page, we have you know a website. We so we we have that presence, and we individually will put that out. The Senate as a whole will put it out. But really, it's up to us as individual legislators to really get that message out kind of in this silo fashion, even Mm -hmm. though, you know, so I'll give you, for instance, what's a typical day in the life of a a legislator, right? Today is Monday, and I have office hours in the mornings on Mondays, um, usually in a different senior center. Today was my off week. It's the fifth, there's five Fridays this month. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Mondays, five Mondays this month. So, um, you know, I picked up other meetings. I had, you know, three meetings this morning. I've got three after after this. And um, so that's a typical Monday for me. But Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and usually Friday, I'm in the State House. And even though I'm in the State House, I may not see my colleagues oddly as that sounds i may not see the 39 other people that i work with if we're in a session i'm going to see them uh, a formal session which we'll have one this week on big education bill um if we're in a caucus on wednesday i'll see them but we don't caucus every wednesday so i may not see them so we're very kind of siloed and sometimes that's that's just it's a time constraint you know absolutely yeah and, makes and you know, a lot of sense. right so I mean, you know, I've got great relationships um, with my fellow senators 
as much as I get to see them in the same building that we work in. Yeah. Even on, on a hallway. There's six senators in the hallway, in my hallway. I may not see any of them that right. day. Wow. And I guess it doesn't yeah. have to be everybody in person, you know, d- like having a seminar, because I think the critique that then would happen is, why are you guys stopping running the government to have this training on Instagram? But I would say that having having a the created rule book around the tools and best practices, maybe sending out a monthly newsletter to state representatives that's like, here are, here are ways in which you can engage. Here's new ways Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I know she's like third time we've referenced her, but she does a really great job on social yeah. media. Mm-hmm. She has a tool that I remember when she first was gaining momentum, um, sort of leading up to her election, she announced, and I remember looking up the tool and I don't remember the tool's name, but it's the tool on Instagram where as you're talk as you're doing a video, um, you know, it'll automatically caption what you're saying. And it was about accessibility. And so for those constituents of hers that couldn't hear what she was saying but wanted to read and follow her on social. And that's just an example of I think ways in which we've talked about the importance of having accessible representatives. It's not just like I want to be able to text you know, Senator Lovely, you know, late night and be like, I have this issue and here's my thought. But <laughs> to cons- hey. Oh, hey, girl. <laughs> How's it going? Or like just having a, 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 an access, a channel with which makes it makes me feel like when I do have an issue that's meriting escalation, there's a clear and compelling way for me to get that message across to you and then have you enact change. You seem like a particularly empathetic person, which is likely why Jackie and I have like glommed onto your <laughs> approach, but it's because that's how we live and breathe. But I also feel like there's, there's, a, there's. I guess there's just merit. To me, I feel like the critique of the system is that people aren't accessible and or they're not working for me. So if I were an, analyzing this as a solutions issue, a solution to me in the short term would be to, you know, create, and maybe it's part of one of the committees that you or your colleagues work on, but create some sort of a, a tool, a toolbox, a, a, a set of tools, a something euphemism <laughs> to give to them and say, okay, I know, you know, you're afraid of Instagram and you only are on Facebook. Or listen, I know Twitter seems like it's going to take up a lot of your time. But if you think about it this way, where, you know, having some sort of a fresh take, then you can get those sort of fresh voters in there. Because like our friends, our peer group are of your children's ages. And to hear someone that's my age say to me, I do not vote. It is and I recognize that I'm their political friend to some degree. It's shocking. It's it's depressing to me because it's we also live in a state that's trended blue for a long time. And mm-hmm. so to have a conversation where you assume everything's safe, we assumed Hillary was going to be elected. Whether you were pro-Hillary or not, you assumed that the rational acting body that is our voting system <laughs> wouldn't have voted Donald Trump into office. But look what happened. And so I, I guess I'm so... I feel like there's got to be a little secret sauce to getting um, our representatives more access to audiences via new and innovative tools. Well, I have a question. How many of them, maybe this is cynical, but I wonder, you're, you can put yourself out there because you can stand behind what you're doing and mm-hmm. who you're working for and what you're working towards. Do you think that there's a hesitancy on some of the more traditional political mindsets who don't necessarily want to give that much access to their constituents or is that's an interesting question is that a cynical thought process it's probably hard to answer but i right interesting yeah 
you know, you know what? I mean, I guess the way I would I kind of look at it, at you, you both of you are are my kids' ages, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you grew up with smartphones and you know I we had a Apple IIe computer with the green screen when when I was even when my kids were little you know so just the the introduction of um, all of the social media and and all of the uh, opportunities to do this is fairly new to me it's really ingrained in you and and my kids um, so and probably I guess what I would say is maybe for someone you know, at, at my age, um, a little older <laughs> legislator compared to someone who's maybe a legislator in their 20s or 30s who's maybe going to feel a little more comfortable with it. Sure. That's why I want to go back to staff and give my mm-hmm. staff a big shout out. Because Absolutely. I, I employ all 20-somethings and 30-somethings, not for a reason except that they're interested in, in a career in government and we're giving them that start. And um, and they're they're really great. I Without them, um, you know, we, we do all of this together. And um, you know, and all of my social media, we're all weighing in on it together during the day. So it may be me tweeting something, or I'm I'm reaching back to staff and saying, okay, this is what we're doing. Can somebody put show, shout out, put out a, a, a quick tweet? So team lovely, <laughs> back lovely. To team lovely. So speaking to you know some of my other colleagues, um, different people approach their di- district districts differently. They may be you know I I I know a um, a rep who said to me a couple months ago, she spends very little time in the state house. She's in her district. At, you know, she's making, that's how she's accessible, of, of physically being in her district. Um, and she has that opportunity. I'm not, and, and her district isn't far from the state house. Whereas, and, and some, some legislators, I'm, I have a legislator, um, you know, a senator who represents Pittsfield mm. and 51 communities. Oh, wow. I represent five. 51 he's mm, got wow. almost a third of the state takes him two hours to get back and forth or back to, from one end to the other so it, it also goes with with the size of our districts mm-hmm. and you know distance from the state house and right. just all that kind of stuff like which is which is exactly right. bandwidth, and time constraint yeah which makes social media even more important to really want to be able to get your message out and show that you're accessible Mm. to your constituents right because if you make it simple um i think that online messaging that's what creates mobilization amongst people of our generation and younger generation my youngest sister is 18 and you know for kids that have literally been fed iphones since they were a little older than toddler age but it's definitely completely part of their culture Uh, some I, there have been times where I've gotten worried that they are completely disconnected from the world and everything that's happening, but that is so not true. I give my sister's generation huge amounts of credit for having every distraction under the book coming their way, yet they're all still informed. Like I, my sister was the one who told my parents about the Amazon burning, you know, which is still burning for the record. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, she's on them to stop buying bottled water, and it. But at the same time, if we get into a political debate at the table, which is common. Um, she's and expected. <laughs> um, she's the first one to shut it down and tell us it's not a productive conversation. It's not the time for it. So I, I commend them and I feel like it gives me hope. But I also think to your point, in order to continue mobilizing these kids and the youth and getting them involved and feeling like they do have a voice, they can make a change. It's going, we keep saying this, this is the word of the day, it's going back and being accessible for them. How are you accessible for them? Social yeah. media. That's how you're saying a lot of your constituents 
contact you too because yep. you know you hear well get involved call call your representative that's the number one thing you hear and then I've had that thought of like okay they're just gonna yell yes me to death like how how am I ever gonna know but when you're hitting Senator Lovely up on Instagram and sliding into her DMs and you can see that she's seen <laughs> yeah. the message like yep. you know she's gonna follow through for you and it I mean it sounds like that's also a question I have too of how it's balancing and prioritizing you know you have someone who's saying i i have an addiction i need help and then you have these massive bills that you're trying to push through the state house i'm just i'm so curious and i just want to get into your psyche of like how do you balance that how do you prioritize those things on top of being i know i'm completely pivoting but it's are you asking too about when everything's important how do you prioritize yeah exactly and like your social media messaging you know texting this guy back making sure that your staff is on top of this bill i mean is there any secret sauce or you secretly losing your mind on nancy brady's <laughs> our episode when she came on because i know you know her personally yes, she yeah. Uh, the title of the episode is There's No Secret Sauce to Changing the World. And we keep trying to find it, though. Right, like, yeah. both of us are like, so what is the thing? I'm like, how are you not, how, A, how do you sleep? B, how, how are you not just, like, crippled by, like, constant, the, what do we call it, the feedback um, loop? Yeah. You know, I mean. That's hard. Oh, yeah. So let me tell you, I do sleep because I make it a priority. Because, you know, if you don't get a good night's sleep, you really can't be productive. Uh, right. And just in the last few months, I recommitted myself to working out. So um, the, the, there's a Pilates studio that just opened up in, in South Salem. And so I've recommitted myself to that. And, that, you know, and, and that just makes you feel better physically and mentally so you can really attend. Because, you know, what, everybody's busy, mm-hmm. right? Everybody is very, very busy lives. Um, there's no secret sauce. It's um, not the one that, that I've found anyway yet. You know, we just... How do we prioritize? Everything's a priority, actually. So if somebody's calling on the, on the other end of the phone because they, they're seeking opioid treatment and we can be helpful, we, we, we stop right there and that's what we do. Um, and then, you know, then we pick up with probably in the next hour what we're doing, you know, whether we're working on like this, like I said earlier, there's a big um, education bill that's coming up this Thursday in the Senate. It's a, com- a commitment of $1.5 billion over the next seven years and an additional education aid to communities. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Haven't done this in 23 years. Um, it's an absolute priority. As a vice chair of education, we worked really hard on this bill. We should have passed it last session, and we didn't. Black eye on the legislature, I say publicly, that we really should have passed it last session, but we didn't. But we, we are passing it in the, in the Senate on Thursday. It'll go to the House and then to the governor by Thanksgiving. Priority. But there's lots of, you know, there's, there's dozens and dozens of other priorities that are, we just keep them all up here. Do things fall off our plates? They do. Sometimes they do. Um, I was going through my emails earlier today, and and we missed an email from a constituent who then sent a second email and said, mm-hmm. "Geez, did you see this?" Sometimes we get Which this is like the Yelp review of politicians. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, how do yeah. we? How do we? And you know what? I'm not going to blame my staff for missing it. I missed it. You oh. know. So right back and said, "Really sorry, we missed this. Let me get back to you as, as soon as I can, um, just to get the information they're looking for." It happens. We're not perfect. Um, and I think by and large, people know that and say, you know, what? I'm really sorry that fell off my plate. Let me get back to you. Um, some people aren't so nice, though, uh, as well. And you talk about, like with mm. social media, mm-hmm. um, that some things can, you know, come onto, onto our pages that aren't pleasant. 
um, you know, people who sit behind a keyboard, right. maybe with a not a real name, and mm-hmm. and out it comes. Also and known as a troll. The troll, thank you. <laughs> Still true. filterless. Yeah. You know. Um, antagonistic. Antagonistic. Right. I will tell you, I don't participate at that level. I'm not going to debate something on Facebook. What I say to people is, call my office. Let's get together. Um, there was a bill I supported recently and I got uh, a message from a a friend and she was really upset with my support of the bill and I said meet me we met we talked about it and I told her why I was supporting it and why I thought that um, it needed support and she was really appreciative she doesn't agree with me Mm -hmm. but we but it didn't I was able to at least break down that barrier or give her that you know give her the time to explain and she explained to me and there was some misconceptions and we were able to talk about it you know in a meeting um, a couple next week on on a similar bill um, that they're upset about you know like so I want people to say you know if if you're upset about something that I might be supporting or happy happy or upset (laughs) um, (laughs) let's let's get together you know but if someone's calling because they they have an issue I call them back and I say, okay, this is where we're at, but tell me what I don't know. Because mm-hmm. maybe, maybe I'm not voting on this correctly. So tell me what I don't know. What, what are your feelings about it? I want people to be able to really be heard. I feel like you have made a career out of what Jackie and I are hoping to bottle up with this platform, which is setting the time to have the... We recently had a conversation with, um, you know, a couple episodes ago or with a someone who's a peer but also someone who we all sort of have different uh, different perspectives on the same issue as regarding vaccinations and sort of the healthcare system as a whole yeah. and i we got the most wonderful responses from people saying you know my one of my best friends um i don't even know if i shared that one with you jackie mm-hmm. but one of my best friends she was like i have now listened to your podcast on the way home from work and then you know got back in the house to turn it back on to my alexa to finish it and it was about how the th- the the vaccination topic and how the three of us not only did we not necessarily come to a conclusion at the end that wasn't the takeaway but what we did say is we can what we can all agree on is having a platform where you can talk about the issues that you are not necessarily on the same page on from the get-go and to have that conversation on i think on our first or second episode we also talked about you know, I have a, my hairdresser's mom is apparently a huge Trump supporter. And I was like, I would love to have lunch with her just to talk. And I mean, maybe it would be miserable. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. But the the fact that you've done this for your career where you say, you know, I'm going to make the time, I'm going to find the right avenue, go to where the people are to, you know, to quote Jackie here is that, you know, making sure you're connecting with giving people the opportunity to connect with you, not just the you know smoke and mirrors of communication yeah. and that sends i don't know that's exciting and empowering for for most constituents i would say but probably and hopefully with this podcast to um to remind people of that yeah you know it goes back to this um this dr right mm-hmm. democrat or republican i i had a um republican um constituent from peabody it was a couple of years ago a bit of bill i was supporting and he was livid just so upset and I ran into him um, in a Peabody establishment, and uh, he really just went right up one side of me and down the other. And I said, "Thank you. Um, you know, I, I'm sorry that we we can't agree on this." And I left that experience feeling, um, feeling right that I felt I was doing the right thing, but 
he was really upset. So I wrote him a note. I just wrote him a really nice note and said, you know what, I want to thank you for the opportunity. That was a tough discussion, um, but I'm glad we had the exchange. I know I probably will never um, have you as a voter for me again, but I want you to know that I still consider you, you know, a friend. And, I, and the next time I ran into him, he said to me, I can't tell you how much that meant to me to get a personal written note from me, just saying what I said, you know. And, and I said, well, I mean it, you know. I, you know, I understand that we, for for you and I, it's about, you know, it's it. Unfortunately, he's he's an R and and he votes just the party line and. And I said, I understand that's, you know, how you do this. And But I want you to know that it doesn't have to come between us either. Right. You know, I, we can still be friendly to each other. And and we are. Which yeah. is beautiful. And we, I, we could go down a whole rabbit hole with that conversation. Absolutely. But I think it also speaks, because, like, what I've been trying to get to the bottom of this entire interview and something I would just wonder myself, because I've, people have mentioned to me before, maybe I might be interested in getting involved in politics. And I always say, I don't have the stomach for it. I'd rather be the business person influencing the politician behind the scenes, which now I realize is kind of derogatory towards the elected officials like yourself who really do work so hard. And now I'm seeing the why more. Cause it's not, you're not just in hearings and committees all day long, you know, playing political theater. You are literally talking to people day in and day out and moving positive change forward. So I commend you because I think it's a really hard position to take and be convicted in what you're doing, knowing you're going to come up against adversity almost every step of the way. That's why I personally always said I couldn't handle it because I care a lot about what people think about me. But I also think to be an elected official, you have to really care what people think, but you also have to be convicted in the fact that you're doing right by them regardless of whether or not they realize it and to be able to have that kind of conversation with someone who doesn't agree with you and still be able to find that friendship I think it's the true example of what how elected officials move change forward because you have to work with them right so I'll I'll go back to what I said at the beginning when um I met my husband, right, and he was a city councilor, and all those phone calls and all those meetings, and I said, how do you do it? How do you do it? And, uh, you know, I just wasn't political. I, I had no interest, I'll tell you, in my 20s. Um, you the know. answer is he had a great wife supporting him, just that <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, you know what, but, um, but it, when, I, when I started a family is when I really started to become invested in my community, mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about. People really want to have a safe, productive, good place to live, no matter where you're, what planet you're from. That's what you, that's what you really want. And that's, you know, for me to represent these five communities, that's what I want to be able to bring those state resources back to these five communities, to all the people, to the 165,000 people who live across these five communities to know that where you live and what you do matters. You know, and that government's supposed to work for you, and we are supposed to be accessible. That's why we work so hard at it, um, and and to just make sure that people that that they know, you know, that we have resources that we can make available, or we can vote to make resources available, and to make sure that that people know that. 
That's huge. And I, I think that the takeaway for today is that she's listening, <laughs> but also that not just you are listening, that if, if government's working well, you know, the representatives that we elect are listening to us. And if, if you as a listener are feeling disenfranchised or um, discouraged or, you know, empowered, any of the above from listening to this conversation, let us know because we're open, Jackie and I, mm-hmm. to talking about it, but we... Um, along with Senator Lovely, um, can channel things towards the right people in power that can help you get the help you need, whether it's related to addiction or related to sexual harassment or related to your street getting plowed. I mean, it all matters. And we're all just trying to to seek out the things that which can make all of our lives a, a better place to be. Mm-hmm. So, And there's uh, power in numbers, so it's amazing what can happen once a collective voice comes together and has a unified message. Um, you can literally move mountains. So. Couldn't agree more, and, and I, I just want to you know, say to your listeners, please go out and vote. Your vote really matters. Um, you know, we just had a primary in Beverly last week, the only week before. Fifteen percent of the voters came out in a primary. I mean, just that's just abysmal. We work really closely with our with our local elected officials, um, who have an ex- extremely important role at the local level, because that's really where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. You know, so as a state official, uh, I want to make sure that again, channeling those resources back into the community, so that the local effect- officials can then um, distribute those resources. So we all work together. Where can people find you? They can find me uh, at joan.lovely at masenate.gov for those who like to email. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Twitter, Send Joan Lovely uh, on both. And um, Instagram as well. Send send Joan Lovely or send it to Joan Lovely. Uh, You'll find me. Call us, 617-722-1410. We're also in a different senior center every Monday morning. Um, I put out a newsletter monthly. Um, so people can su- subscribe to the newsletter. We've got uh, I've got a couple of website, a campaign website, and a and a um, Senate website. So we're trying to put it out there to make sure that people can find us and call us for any reason, um, especially if you if you need help. But weigh in on bills and 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 um, Jackie, you had brought this up before about committees. So when we have people come in to testify at, at committees. I'll tell you how powerful that testimony is from that individual coming in from their different community about how this this bill is going to affect them personally or maybe affect their community or affect their family or, or their job. Extremely powerful. Now, if you can't get into the state house to personally testify, send a letter, send an email, give mm-hmm. us a call right. just so that we can record you so we know how you feel. It's so critical for me as an elected official to be able to hear from as many people as possible on on the 6,000 bills that get filed in the legislature every two years. So if you if you have an opinion, let us know. It, and you know what? Good, bad, exactly, whatever it might be, right. let us know. It's really, really important. And what are some bills that you want to just highlight to our listeners right now that you're working on? I'll tell you. So there are a couple of bills. One of my top priority bills is on um, child sexual abuse prevention. Uh, I will tell your listeners that I'm a survivor at the age of six years old and a couple of my family members as well. And um, when I got into the legislature, this was an issue that I wasn't sure that I really would be able to address because I kept it buried like so many other survivors do. Um, but um, I filed a couple of bills, and I'm working with some amazing um, advocates and organizations 
Um, and but one of the bills is um, in the you, you know you would have seen on the news, but both public and private schools, mostly high schools, um, of inappropriate educator student relationships. Mm-hmm. The age of consent is 16. So what will happen is a perpetrator will start to groom a student maybe in middle school and when they turn 16 then enter into that sexual relationship which we again there's the power struggle between you know and I'm not saying just educator I'm not just saying teacher I'm saying school employee um, both public and private schools so we just say that's inappropriate Um, a lot of times what will happen is um, the school system will enter into like a confidentiality agreement like a non-disclosure agreement with that employee and move them along we call that pass the trash. <laughs> and so the trash gets passed on to the next school system. And because a confidentiality agreement has been signed, that next school system doesn't know. Mm. And then that person goes there and then repeats that behavior. We're saying no, yeah. that can't happen. Um, it's we a cover want, up. Yep, it's a cover up, exactly. So we say no to that. And what we want to take a look at is do we need to increase the age of, of consent? only in a high school setting um, to 18 or 19. There's a lot of seniors that graduate at 19 years old or 22 for a special needs student, only in an enrolled school setting, you know, so public or private high school, so that you can't consent to a sexual relationship at 16 with a school employee. Right. That, that, that won't be allowed. So really pretty, you know, cutting edge. Um, Great but, work, though. But we think, yeah, we really think it's really necessary. Yes. Um, so right, thinking about all the nuance that must go into writing a bill like that to make sure everyone's protected because my mind immediately goes to like statutory rape yep and right exactly you know, you know so. one thing that we did do um and this um this was in the bill but it was actually passed last session is um that we won't criminalize relationships between students right right okay there you so go. Yeah. so that's that's off the table we've already you know we that's not criminalized um because we see student to student relationships <laughs> this is that inappropriate being a 16 year old yeah. nowadays who isn't yeah. you know? so that's it's just about that inappropriate relationship sexual relationship um and you know what we had we had a woman come in and testify and this is her story she started to be groomed in middle school and she was pulled out of gym class, every gym class, by an assistant principal who started to groom her. And she, you know, it was special attention. And then he started having a sexual relationship with her and then brought other men in to an empty classroom to have a sexual relationship with her. And it was a new gym teacher that came in who then noticed the pattern that she kept being pulled out of class. By the way, she always got an A in gym. Right. And she's the one who found it. He's in prison. Thank God. And you know what? And she's gone on to become an advocate. She's married oh. with children now. Wow. And she's now, she speaks about her experience and why we need to put these protections in place. Yeah. Incredible. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So work that I'm working on, um, you know, we've, we've um, talked to a number of state agencies who have actually helped us write this bill. Mm-hmm. And, um, and another bill, actually, the governor is interested in is to remove the statute of limitations on the criminal side for sexual abuse and rape of a child. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Right. It yeah. is huge. Um, so we want to be able to say, like murder, you can bring an action at any time. So um, 11 other states have done it, and we're working on it here in Massachusetts. So that's one, that's one of my big bills. Um, one other bill that we're working on is um, to remove lead from drinking water in schools, public and private schools. So right now some of these buildings are old, and they still have a lead service that provides the water into the 
right into the buildings. Brockton uh, just remediated all of their schools at the cost of about $300,000. So if you think of a community the size of Brockton, it's a big school system, and they were able to do it. Um, so both myself and Rep. Ehrlich from Marblehead filed this bill. It got the governor's attention, and he's actually going to be putting uh, funding into a supplemental budget coming up to help remediate these. Um, and they're in every every district, I'll tell you, here in Beverly, Salem, um, all across my district, there's different schools. And what they'll do is they will um, remove bubblers that may have, have lead pipes that are providing the water to the bubblers and provide other water drinking stations. And to, again, to be able to get fresh water um, into like the school cafeterias and into the cooking facilities, um, you know, the school kitchens. Sure. To make sure, because you know, no parent wants to send their child, they don't even know. They may be sending their child off to school and they're drinking And it's preventable. Water. Right. And it's preventable. <laughs> 100% Most preventable. Yeah. Yep. So those are priorities that we've that we've made. I'll tell you when Fred Berry was the senator, I had the same kind of mindset like, "Oh my god, he's a senator. Can I talk to him?" <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> we're, also, we're all it's one pant leg on one at a time. What is that? Right? <laughs> my mom used to say that. I have to put one pant leg well, on. Well, pant so. suit. No. Yeah, right. For both of them. <laughs> but um anyway, thank you so much for taking the time and um, be sure we'll include your information on the episode uh, description. Um, right. And you know, if if folks do want to connect with us, we we meant it. So please reach out, and we'll connect you to the senator um, in one of her many accessible channels. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, please uh, rate and subscribe to Riveting Broads on on all platforms. We have gotten some great comments on our Apple Podcast, and that helps with our rankings too. So. If you have something to say, hopefully nice, feel free to write it. But just like Senator Lovely, even if you don't have something nice to say, we also want to hear that because your feedback is always helpful. Yes. In our to not say stupid things. (laughs) No, such a good point. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. And thank you, Senator. Thank you, Jackie.